Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters here on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, July 1st, we're studying Acts chapter 27, verses 1 to 20. Paul has testified before kings and rulers in Caesarea. Now it is time for him to begin the journey that will take him to do the same in Rome. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jason Casper. Pastor Casper serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in LaGrange, Texas, and he is also part of a church planting team planning Epiphany Lutheran Church in Bastrop, Texas. Pastor Casper, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Hard to believe it's already July. Yeah, I know. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. It's amazing. How are things going at Epiphany, Pastor Casper? Things are going... Well, interestingly enough, you're involved in this crowd also. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> things are going well at Epiphany. It's such an encouraging thing to have a, a gathering of the faithful where we, we, we identified this area where there was a ministry gap. Where there was just, a, what would you say, it was like 50 miles in any direction, there isn't a, an LCMS church. Which is curious, because you can't swing a dead cat in Texas without hitting an LCMS church, but, but we didn't. We found a spot where there, was, there wasn't enough. And, uh, 50 miles is a bit of an exaggeration, but there is a gap between Austin and, say, Smithville right. that there is not a, a LCMS church. And so, yeah, we found some, there's some LCMS Lutherans there who want a church. And who kind of were interested in having one, yeah. We said, that sounds like a great idea. And so, yeah, what a, what a wonderful partnership it is between several pastors, several congregations, and faithful lay folks to plant a church in Bastrop, Texas. It's wonderful. Indeed. It's it's yeah. a lot of fun. It's and it's it's going well, which is always encouraging. God because be praised. This is, as we're reading the the missionary journeys of Paul, this is exactly what we're talking about. This is going out to where the people are or are not and and having the word spread out in a place where it isn't currently happening. That's right. And and we we've, we've we've gone out to the the shores of of uh, Asia Minor here and and we're 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 planting a new a new congregation in the midst of of the ocean. <laughs> it, it has. There's been several moments in the Book of Acts that have been encouraging to me, thinking about the saints there at Epiphany and the way you see Paul working together with the people who are there in these congregations, and how the work continues and carries on even in his absence, and how he does appoint the the overseers there. And I mean, uh, Aquila and Priscilla in particular, their work in both Corinth and Ephesus that was very encouraging. As I reflect on on how. There's not always a pastor present in Bastrop, and yet the, the saints there continue in that work of praying and reading the scriptures and sharing the word with those they, they know and meet. So it is a wonderful thing. God be praised for the saints at Epiphany in Bastrop. So, Pastor Casper, we're in Acts 27 today. We find ourselves near the end of Luke's account. Things are, are coming to a bit of a climax as Paul begins his journey toward Rome in today's text. What do we need to know about the surrounding context, what Paul's been up to the last several chapters as we look at chapter 27 today? Yeah, so he's been incarcerated and on trial an awful lot. So there's been quite a bit of this. Yeah. 
It's been a few years, in fact. So yeah, we've got all the way back to like chapter twenty-three. We find ourselves uh, at where where Paul has been has been arrested in in Jerusalem, and he's brought before the the various Roman magistrates. And so it, I'm actually even in, in chapter twenty-two. I think there. Paul comes before the Roman Tribune, and he's sent before the he's sent before the various councils. The Tribune brings him before the Jerusalem Council, not the, not the Jerusalem Council of Christianity, but the Jerusalem Council of the Jews, which luckily he's able to bring up that little uh, that little aspersion between the Sadducees and the and the Pharisees about whether or not there's a, a resurrection, and that that comes into play in an interesting way too. Mm-hmm. There's a plot to kill him. He goes before Felix the governor and Felix the governor is another one of those things that's fascinating because we're going to go <laughs> we're going to go with Philip Felix the governor for about 2 years and then Felix is going to leave and fe- cease being the governor. That's right. It's, he didn't get the bribe he wanted. <laughs> so and now it's time for you to go. But Until, just before he goes, you stay in prison. That's right. <laughs> right. So we're going to remain in prison. And so this continues to go on and on and on. And, fi- and finally, Paul is is going to appeal to, to Caesar. And this is actually, this is going to be the, the death sentence for him. His appeal to Caesar is the thing that, that right before we get into 27, it's so fascinating to me. He's He's got all this trial going on, and in, in the end of chapter 26... We hear these words from Agrippa to Festus. Festus is the replacement for Felix. Uh, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it seems in the context of Acts chapter 26 and, and what comes before, both particularly Festus seems like he uses that as an out to, as because and what this is, it's amazing how many times this happens within the narrative where the rulers recognize that Paul's innocent but none of them will do anything about it, yeah. which certainly mirrors the life of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And and it does seem that, that Festus then you know uses that as, well, hey, I know he's innocent, but you appealed to Caesar, so you got to go there. Going to have to wash my hands here and let you go to That's Caesar. Right. That's right. Yeah, there's there really are a number of, of parallels in Paul's life to what happens to the life of our Lord. Even you, you mentioning that this goes all the way back to chapter 21, where Paul goes to Jerusalem. Just the amount of time that Luke spends on this last imprisonment of Paul, it obviously takes much longer than Holy Week does in terms of the timeline, but the space within the narrative is similar to the way that all the Gospels work, that they spend the majority of their space on the passion of our Lord. So in the book of Acts, you get this uh, passion of Paul doesn't seem quite like a the right term, but no, this imprisonment of Paul yeah, it's takes the, it's up the, the space. It's the testing. It's the trial. I mean, this this is, so in the life of a Christian, we are not going to suffer in the way that Christ suffered, but we are going to suffer. Right. Some of us physically, some of us emotionally, various ways. As pastors of the church, we are set upon by enemies from within and without, whether we like it or not. And it is the nature of, of, of the life of Christians that Satan has one goal, and that's to separate us from Christ. And any means that he can accomplish this is the way that he will he will do that. One of the things that was thrown at Paul was this extended imprisonment and this long process of always and 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 it's worth mentioning there was there was no point where he was not in some degree of peril. He started out his imprisonment under threat of being scourged to be tested by being whipped nearly to death to find out the truth, and that was where he raised his hand and said, "Up, oh, I'm I'm a Roman, <laughs> right?" And so along the way, he's he's in great danger the entire time. And now, as we get into this part of the of the text, when we get onto the ship voyage, now this peril is no longer peril at the hands of men. This is now peril at the hands of of a of a corrupt and and disordered creation. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm glad you brought up earlier how Paul, in the midst of the the Sanhedrin, tossed out 
that he's on trial because of his hope and because of the resurrection of the dead. And I think, we, you know, when you look at what Paul's been through over the last several chapters, and particularly every time he gets the chance to give a, an extended testimony, as he did, again, be, before both Felix and Festus, you see how he brings this matter up. He brings in the matter of the resurrection. And, and we've talked about this before, that for Paul, it's not only that there is a resurrection on the last day, but that this resurrection has come now through Jesus Christ, the Savior. And I, I think that's important as we look at chapter 27. As you said, Paul will now face peril on the sea, that whether or not there's a resurrection is really important for men who travel on the sea and face these dangers. Paul, of course, has the particular promise of the Lord from back in chapter 23 that he will go to Rome. So we should we should know that going in. Paul's going to get there no matter what the trip is like. But I do think that that hope of the resurrection that Paul has, he's been proclaiming, really does come to bear here on the sea. He gets to put that into practice and make use of that as he is in this danger here in chapter 27. Yeah, and we're, we're not going to get to that today, but he's going to have a little discussion about about this this sea bear, sea voyage as they're starting to have trouble along the way, um, I'm going to make it. Not not all of you are. Well, he does he does say that the Lord. And again, this this goes into the next text, so we don't want to get too far afield. Right. He does say that God grants the life of all who sail with him. The ship's going to be cast against the rocks. The ship's going to be lost. But the Lord, for the sake of Paul, does give the lives of those who are on the ship with him, which is a striking promise. And again, we'll, we'll cover that more in the, in the next time The the text that you and I have today is very nautical in nature. Have you ever fascinating sailed pastor Casper? No, I have never. Well, actually I have, I have sailed. Let me, let me back that up just a tiny bit as a, as a high school boy, I had a, a classmate who was a sailor and in uh Crevecore Lake up on the North side of St. Louis, we would uh, we, the lake is is a very generous way to describe that. It's a it, it's a, a puddle of some sort, <laughs> and uh, and my my high school classmate had a, a small sailboat that he had convinced his father to let him buy, and we we sailed on I think two different occasions. So you're perfectly capable of, of understanding all of the nautical terms that St. Luke gives us here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a boat or two in my life, a few ferries here and there. Okay, so. Yeah. So, so, so we're well equipped. That's for this. right. So we, we know these terms perfectly well, which let's let's talk just a little bit about what we're going to encounter here in terms of in terms of literature. This is sacred scripture. But but as Luke writes, what are we going to be reading about today? So we're going to be reading. This is really actually quite fascinating because we have to remember that that the Bible is sacred literature for us that teaches us about Christ. The ways in which it teaches us about Christ sometimes escape our feeble minds mm. and we do the very best we can. But. This particular text is also one of, not one of, it is the most reliable document in antiquity in terms of texts of ancient writing, because there are more copies of it available closer to the events written than any other ancient text. Hands down, there isn't even a competition of any sort. Meanwhile, this is also, from a couple of different sources, revealed to be one of the most detailed ancient writings concerning a ship going a ship a shipping expedition so we have the bible the word of god we have one of the most reliable sources we could possibly ask for the most reliable source and one of the most detailed <laughs> recountings of a ship going tri- a trip in ancient roman travel so the, the what this is is not just sacred scripture this is also for the question of what was it like to ship goods in ancient rome 
this is the answer. That's right. This yeah. is exactly what it was like right. in the greatest detail we can find. So, so someone who's doing history for the you know the first century AD, this chapter, Acts chapter twenty-seven, is going to be one of the primary sources that they're going to look at as to, for example, when would you sail and when would you not sail on the Mediterranean Sea? You're going to look to Saint Luke to find that out. Yeah. These, these things and and what what dangers were there and and how would you how would you best avoid these dangers? Right. These are all things we're going to see here in in, in Luke chapter twenty seven. Yeah. And, and how fascinating is that? And and it's a sad thing because it ought to be the primary source. It may not be for those who are historians looking to find this out. They might go somewhere where we're going to hear about krakens and leviathans instead. That's right. Well, and that's you know that's that's the wonder of this is that it is you know within what is a book that is intended to teach us about Christ. And to proclaim his death and resurrection for repentance and forgiveness. Luke has been the one to record those words for us. He's repeated that thought multiple times that, that what, that's what the whole of the scripture is about. Within that, we have this very detailed account that's going to include terms. You know, If we were sailing people, we would be following along. Yeah, that's exactly what you do when you're in that part of the Mediterranean Sea. And that is the, the direction you head. And those are the times you go and the times you avoid. That's the detail that St. Luke gives us. And what a, what a marvelous thing. I think for us as Christians, one of the things that we can take from that in general is that the Lord within sacred scripture, he speaks accurately of real things that happen. These aren't fairy tales. There's not krakens. There's, I mean, these are real people. And when we meet, say, in the book of Job, you know, Leviathan, we're talking about real things, real people, real creatures, God acting in history for the sake of, of people. Even if we can't always, as you said, find exactly, okay, what, what is this teaching me about Christ's death and resurrection when they wait, or it's the fast has passed, and we'll talk about that. Right, we can make that, that overall statement that this is real history, and that makes a difference. It does. It, it gives us somewhere to hang everything. And if, for instance, the, the fast being passed, it pins us to two things. It pins us to, to the liturgical calendar. It pins us to the, the actual physical annual calendar. And it establishes time of year, which really gives us the context of what the danger is. Mm-hmm. That, that one little blurb about the fast gives us an identification. Right. This is when this happens. In the year that King Uzziah died gives us a specific right. point in time. Boom, this is where this happened. Right. Well, and this is one of the marks of, of Christianity is that it's testable or, I mean, you, you can look at these things and say, okay, that makes a really specific claim. Is it true or not? Whereas, you know, many false religions, and maybe you could say all false religions, maybe not, many false religions make claims that are not verifiable or testable. And, and a good example would be Joseph Smith in, in Mormonism makes claims about golden plates that no one else can verify. Whereas here in Acts chapter 27, Luke is writing things that you can check out. And as we've said, they prove to be true, which is the wonderful thing. Well, and Joseph Smith, whether he was a plagiarist or not, he's he's just doing the same thing that other people do. The prophet Muhammad did nearly the same That's thing. Right. I was spoken to by an angel. I received a revelation directly from God. Can you check that? No. Um, you've got uh, El Kesai, one of the earliest examples of such a person who has a book fall from heaven, hits him in the head. He reports it as the new writings of the 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 the, the errors of Christianity and Judaism, and I've really fixed it. And uh, well, I lost the book, but I'll tell you what's in it. That's right. That's right. And this, I mean, this goes back to what Paul testified in the previous chapter, where he tells 
uh, before Festus and Agrippa, that these things have not been done in a corner, which is certainly true of what happened with Jesus, what happened there in Jerusalem, and it continues to be true in Paul's own life. These things are not done in a corner. They are out there in public for men to see. And, and again, within the book, that gives us the testimony of Christ crucified and risen for sinners. So we get a nautical journey. Any more introductory material, Pastor Casper? No, I think this does a real good job of setting us up for where we All are right. as we as we dive into the most reliable nautical text in antiquity. From two land lovers. <laughs> All right. Acts 27, beginning at verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy, and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. All right, we'll pause there. That takes us through verse 12 of chapter 27. So lots of nautical details in there. Hopefully we did okay with the, the name pronunciations there, Pastor Casper. Let's let's talk about the setting. The first couple of verses before they embark on our journey, what are some things we should notice in those first couple of verses? We. Oh, we, we is so useful. We. Who is we? We we is the author. This includes Luke. Luke is that's part of why there's so much detail in this particular this particular narrative. We get all this because Luke is with Paul. He's part of the journey. He's actually experiencing all of this right alongside with Paul. So we are going to Rome together. We're all headed on this way. Um, this is firsthand account. This is not something Paul reported later. Okay. This is actually coming directly from the mouth and from the pen of Luke himself. Uh, and we we have seen Luke include him in the narrative in several places. It's been a while since he's he's used that language, but here very clearly, Luke is there with St. Paul sailing for Italy. That's that's their destination. So And they don't go there. Not right away. Yeah. Which is interesting. It seems like, and and knowing very little about sailing on the Med, um, it seems as if you can go directly from Rome to Jerusalem relatively unencumbered because of the way the wind is. However, returning to Rome, you have to do that that avoiding or attacking across the wind maneuver where you can you can sail directly. I know this from personal experience. You can sail directly into the wind, but you can't go straight. You have to go back and forth in order to let the wind push you against itself, which okay. is the most peculiar thing it mentally in the world, but it, it's actually a thing that can be done. 
So what we're doing is we're going north up along along the coast of uh, of Asia Minor, and then we're going to catch Crete and then go south down towards uh, down towards uh, the, the name of the other island has slipped my mind all of a sudden. I need to look at the map also. That's okay. That's all right. Um, yeah. Sorry. Up around Cyprus in the north, and then south towards Crete. That's right. That's right. So if you if you have a map, this is a great place. We cannot draw you one on the radio. That's just the nature of podcasting. But if you have a map, and if you have the Lutheran Study Bible, there's a nice map on page 1895 that you can follow along with and give you an idea, and and you'll see what Pastor Casper is talking about. That instead of just charting a, a direct course through the open sea over toward Rome, they hug the coast. When We've seen Paul do this before in previous missionary journeys where he'll kind of bounce along the coast from one town to the next before making any trip across open water. You have to have the right weather. You have to have the right boat. You have to have all the right conditions to make longer journeys. So he, he follows a similar idea here, not the same route, but the similar idea of staying close to the coast until they come to that place where they can make this longer trip. And this, you know, I mean, yeah, they don't go straight to Rome, but I suppose there there's modern day parallels, even without the nature of sailing. You, you were mentioning that you, you've driven a truck before pastor Casper. And I'm guessing that there are times where maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. We're going to come up to this windward and leeward thing and, uh, and, and driving, driving through Kansas. If you're not, fully, oh, I've done if, that. If you're not fully loaded in a truck, that's like driving a large sail and the wind will really, really push you around a lot. Um, it, similarly, there, there's a spot of I 25 going North out of, uh, out of Denver into Wyoming where a couple times a year, trucks that are loaded because of the prevailing wind will get blown over sideways. And so are those times, and this is, this was the, the connection I was trying to make. Are there, there are times then where you might adjust your route based on weather, even in, in trucking perhaps? Well, you should, but not everybody should. does. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and there isn't always an option. The nice thing about the water <laughs> is you can go any direction you want in the water. <laughs> okay. Or, whereas in a truck, you're sort of bound to where the ribbons of gray lead you. Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so Paul's, he's making his journey based on the weather. Again, he's, he's starting from Caesarea. He's not, he's not in Jerusalem at this point. He's in Caesarea. Uh, what about some of the people that we meet? We, we know Luke's there. Well, Paul's actually, there. Well, who else do we have? There's two. Th- these these are not significant characters, but their names are fun. So we have a centurion named Augustine and a, and a cohort named Julius. Um, th- this may have been really really common in the time. Who knows? But it's interesting that their names are are callbacks to the ancient the, the ancient Roman rulers. Mm. They're they're and th- so these these are either really really Roman folks or folks that are really enamored with Rome and and the names that they have identify them as 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 part of this deal it's like you, when you name your child when you name your child Thomas Jefferson uh, <laughs> Apple and and that's that's a call back to some ancient why, father of our nation that's why you didn't name our kids <laughs> People actually do that, though. <laughs> <laughs> you're true. You're right. You're right. So this this guy named Julius, and he's a centurion. Generally, this is, a, you know, when we meet centurions in the scriptures, at least in the New Testament, centurions tend to have good things happen to them. You've got the centurion that who Jesus sees his faith and heals the servant. You've got the centurion at the cross who confesses Christ. We had Cornelius, who was a centurion previously, who came to faith. Now I've got a, a centurion named Julius, and and we don't really get to talk too much about him today. But he becomes more important as the the shipwreck continues. So okay, we've got Julius Centurion. There's other prisoners who are also on this ship. Any any 
did you read anything on on who these prisoners might be or what they are they like paul they've appealed to caesar do you know did you get anything from that i didn't get i didn't get a lot of detail out of that we do get aristarchus out of here which is yes. one, of, one of paul's companions and uh and aristarchus is the one that that is uh that's helping to carry the money for the the poor in jerusalem remember paul's missionary journeys right. have a twofold function he's going out to spread the word he's also going out to collect funds for the poor in jerusalem to bring them back and he does on three different occasions so Aristarchus is kind of like he's the he's the the, the money bag guy. Okay, yeah. He's, so we've we've met him before. Mm-hmm. So at least Paul, there's at least two who are there for Paul's sake that we know: Luke and Aristarchus. We've got a centurion, Julius. We've got other prisoners. We find out there are plenty of other sailors when we get onto the larger ship. Mm-hmm. For the time being, they they leave Caesarea. They go to Sidon, which is not a very far journey. We're just kind of going, again, up like the coast. A little bump up the coast, yeah. Yeah. But we do find out there in Sidon a little bit how Julius treated Paul. Mm-hmm. This is this is interesting. He gave him leave to go to his friends there in Sidon and to be cared for. Which is a weird way to treat prisoners, at least in my mind, right? I, I would not think of this. So it, it's it's almost like he's been given a day pass. Okay, you can, you can leave the boat and go wander off into Sidon and go visit your friends. Hopefully you come back. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so I think I mean that that says a couple of things I think one one about Julius just as a, an individual he's although we don't have any indication that I can see even later in the text maybe maybe the next guest will correct me on this I don't see an indication that Julius necessarily became Christian because of the preaching of Paul right there's probably some some ancient Christian tradition or some such thing but there's no specific indication right yeah. so but he at least treats Paul in a humane manner mm-hmm. and we, we've seen that in other cases in Paul's imprisonment and in fact generally speaking since chapter 21 when he was arrested for the most part he has been treated pretty kindly and and in many cases especially when he gets to felix and festus he's under what we might call house arrest where he's he has a little bit of freedom to come and go and certainly to have visitors and julius seems to continue that practice here even at least in sidon as they go from town to town now and some of this could be tied into the roman citizen status right because you, when you have that Roman citizen status, there's a there's a different strata of society you fit into now. Now this is this is the kind of person you can trust to, while imprisoned and in, in under guard, you can trust him to go visit his friends in town and come back and do do what is right and what is suitable because he's a Roman and that's how Romans conduct themselves. Sure, sure, and and even more so again for us as readers of of Acts. We know that Paul's going to come back because of who he is, not as a Roman citizen, but as a heavenly citizen. Right. And this is where I, I mean, the fact that. But Julius doesn't know this. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Julius doesn't have that in mind, but you do see the integrity of Paul. Oh, yeah. And and, I, and even more than that, you see the motivation in Paul that, that all along, what is Paul out to do here? He's out to testify to Christ in Rome. And he's not going to miss that opportunity, even though for anybody else, this is the perfect opportunity for, for escape. Mm-hmm. Paul wants to go to Rome. He wants to testify to Christ there. And and I just that little detail gives you I think some insight into what Paul's up to here. Yeah, he's he is he's about spreading the 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 word of Christ and that's it. That's that's everything he does. And every it, it I I'm sure there are bits of the narrative that are missing. I, it seems as though every chance he gets to speak about Christ he does. Yeah. And that includes times when it really is inconvenient when he's standing before Festus, when he's standing before before Felix, the these men whom he should be arguing his case in front of instead, he takes time to talk about Christ to them. That's right. That's right. And no doubt that's what he's doing inside and as he visits his friends who are there's likely Christians there inside and Paul's visiting them, they're caring for him, but he comes back to continue the journey we're going to take our break right there 
We'll continue our journey on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking Acts 27 with Pastor Jason Casper. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, July 1st. We're studying Acts chapter 27, verses 1 to 20 with Pastor Jason Casper. He serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in LaGrange, Texas, and is helping to plant a congregation, Epiphany Lutheran Church in Bastrop, Texas. Pastor Casper, prior to the break, we were with Paul in Sidon. Julius gives him opportunity there to go to his friends, to be cared for. No doubt he proclaims the good news in Sidon, strengthens the saints who are there. But they're not staying. Paul's going to Rome, so they continue their journey. In verse 4, they go out to sea. It says, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. The winds were against us. Here we start to get into a little bit more of those nautical weeds. Uh, What do we need to, to see here? Yeah, so we, we don't necessarily know which the lee side, the, the leeward and windward are the two terms we're talking about here. So the wind pushes one direction and on the other side of an object is the side the wind is not pushing towards. That matters when you're on a coastline. If you are sailing across this wind, which is pushing towards the coastline, that runs you a chance of running aground. You can, you can be shipwrecked and, and destroyed because the boat may not be able to resist the, the wind as it's pushing. So the lee side, the opposite side of that body, that, that, that island or whatever we're working around, that allows them to sail with the wind not pushing them into the island, but rather not even so much pushing as hard because the, the land mass is going to deflect some of that wind also. So the, the leeward side is a safer travel route. It's easier to go that way. And and it's it unlike earlier on when we, hear we, we, we left and we went to the left... <laughs> Right, this one here, we we hear that we're going to the lee side. It seems like that's a well-known thing, at least among those who would have read this this uh, this account initially. We went to the lee side. That's the right. direction we took. Right, and and that is critical, as we were talking about with with trucks being blown over on the on I on I twenty five in in Colorado and Wyoming. That wind is a very serious matter to deal with is when you're sailing and the wind is your power source the right. boat needs to be light enough that the wind will push it it needs to be maneuverable enough that the wind can be worked with and yet the wind can also cause great damage to it because 
it's using the wind to push itself along. Right, right. So so with that, and again, if you've got a map, it's so helpful here because from Sidon, they then, they're continuing essentially north and, and now more in open sea. It's not straight across the Mediterranean by any means. Well, yeah, look on the map there, it's just a tiny bit of water. It's That's right. Except that that's a very large expanse of that's open right. water. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And they're not, they're not quite bouncing along the coast as much from one port to the next. But but they so they're traveling essentially between well, they've got Turkey, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey on their north, Cyprus on their south. That's kind of how they're beginning this journey toward Rome, heading westward until they land then in Myra, Myra and Lycia, which is, if I'm not mistaken, that's where St. Nicholas is from. Yes, eventually, that's exactly not right. yet, but eventually. Wow. <laughs> That was that was that was quite an interesting little reach in there. I would I would not have come up with that. That's good. Well, so yeah, so so Saint Nicholas of of Myra, he's he is from Myra. Later in history, he comes after this, but but so Paul Paul preaches in Myra, no doubt. He, there are Christians there, and so this is where then in verse six in Myra in Lycia. That's where they find a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy. So this this is where they're looking for a ship that's going to take a longer journey than what they've been doing. It sounds yeah. like. And so what, what's going on here is you've got grain hauling going between Alexandria and Rome. And so this, this larger ship is going to be laden down with, with a, with a shipload of grain headed from Alexandria. That's, that's what they were probably trying to catch the entire time. They wanted to get out of the, the small shipping channels up to Myra where they can catch hold of some of the larger vessels that are headed on larger trips it's kind of interesting how they would just pick up passengers along the way, even large numbers of passengers. Right, right. This is not a, a small group that's traveling all the way from Caesarea to Rome. So this, and that's that's worth mentioning that this is a shipping vessel that we're talking about here. So there's commercial activity, there's government activity, all happening on this this one ship. It's going to Italy. They put us on board, and now we begin the trip again. Verse seven. We sailed slowly for a number of days arrived with difficulty off Nidus, and then we have more mention of wind, until they sail under the lee of Crete. And now, at least with Crete, I'm starting to, to get into familiar territory in my mind. I'm not, I, I can see where Nidus is on a map. It's, it looks like we're on the, the southwest part of Asia Minor there. Yep. And then they head down toward Crete. And again, south of Crete is going to be under the lee of Crete, it seems. Mm -hmm. And again, we're, we're going through open water again. So this is this is pretty treacherous stuff. When you when you leave the coastline of, of Asia Minor of Turkey and you head down south towards Crete, there's there's a big expanse where you're crossing there. That's that that, that you're at the the mercy of the wind and waves. Right, right. But but apparently this this route makes more sense and is safer than say hugging the coastline of Greece or trying to go between Greece. Crete and Greece, where, where they don't go those ways. I mean, you can you can see how their journey is purposeful. Mm -hmm. And again, this is where Luke provides that valuable information of what's good shipping practice on the Mediterranean Sea. Apparently, this is the right way to do it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because because not only is this the route, they take this route and they go this route because they, they're going under the lee of Crete. That's right. So and this is at, up to this point, their journey, it, there's been some difficulty, Lucas said, there's been some slow sailing, but there hasn't been a change in plans at to this point thinking this seems risky or this isn't the way we would normally do it or the when we would normally do it. Right? These, these are pretty typical moves thus far 
all the way through verse eight when we get to this place called Fair Havens. That sounds like a nice place. Uh-huh. However, if uh, if we're talking about like the Cape of Good Hope off the southern coast of Africa, <laughs> sometimes we give names to places like that, especially sailors will, when, when it doesn't necessarily apply. <laughs> okay. So Fair Havens could be deceptive. Now, it, it, is, it is in Fair Havens that there is a little bit of conversation about what to do next. So in, in verse 9, Luke says, much time had passed. So perhaps this journey had taken a bit longer than they had anticipated. It says the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. This is one of those time markers that Luke gives us. What what does this mean? Even the fast was already over. Yeah, so we finished the the fast for the for the, the season of Yom Kippur. Okay. So this is the the marker of time. We're into winter time. And this is this is where it's useful to know what times of year on the Mediterranean and sailing purposes and all that sort of stuff. In the winter, that's the most dangerous time to be at sea. That's when the storms are going to come up. That's when the winds are not going to be in your favor. All all the bad things are going to be happening in the wintertime in the ocean. Or in the well, I mean, it's not the ocean, but it is sure it effectively is the ocean. Right. So right. this is this is a danger zone to be here out at this time when this is traveling. Um, time frames are also useful. There's a nice little note in the Lutheran Study Bible there about how long it takes. Uh, Alexandria to Rome takes it's a hundred nautical mi- a thousand nautical miles. Excuse me, and it takes between ten and twenty days to sail. So if we're already looking at a 20-day journey and then we were in this place for a long time for many days, we could be talking about a couple of months' time that has expanded in this in the length of this trip overall. Right, right. So the, with the fast being over, they've entered this dangerous period. You mentioned the Lutheran Study Bible. One of the notes there says winter months would be November 11th through March 10th. And so they're entering, being after the fast, they're entering that time, and that's a pretty expanded period of time, November through March, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, five or so, four or five months that you're not going to go anywhere. And it seems that there's some question, well, maybe we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can get just a little bit farther. Here's maybe trucking. We, I don't know. Pat, if Pastor we can Kasper. just get as far as Amarillo, we can stay the night there. <laughs> okay. And that seems to be part of the conversation that, that happens here. They're entering this dangerous time. Now, before we find out anything else, Paul is the one whose words we hear first, and Paul gives them advice. His advice says this, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. And then Luke tells us that the centurion, Julius, we met him earlier, he pays more attention to the pilot and the ship owner than to Paul. This is one of the places in our text, maybe it's the only place where we get some back and forth, some dialogue. What are we to make of this? Is this Paul speaking prophetically? Is he just giving advice? It Do seems it seems as though he is just giving advice. So this this is not prophetic. I perceive that not I it has come to me from above. This this is a, a simple statement of I think from my from my years on the water in the Mediterranean and the three shipwrecks I've survived that that this could be a problem and maybe we should do something different here. Um, however, you can't really you can't throw a whole lot of shade on Julius in this case either because he's listening to the pilot and the owner of the ship. Um, you'd have to have a really good reason to tell a man, hey, listen, your ship is not doing what you, what you want it to do. <laughs> Instead, we're going to do this other thing. Now, certainly a centurion could have the authority to do that, I would expect. Mm. But it, there had better be good reason because I'm asking you to, to risk. I mean, what is what is a ship to the owner of a ship? That's his entire life. Right. 
he probably doesn't even have a home. This is probably where he lives. This is everything he has in the world here on this ship. And every time he goes and takes a load of grain, he puts everything, every every penny he has into his name on the line in order to take the load of grain to Rome and make those pennies all back. Right, right. And, and the pilot's not going to be a slouch either. I mean, these are not, in all likelihood, these are not inexperienced men to whom the centurion is talking about. Now, Paul's not inexperienced either, but... It's of a different sort. And and when you're, you know, you're the centurion and, and whether you have this authority or not, you're listening to these people. And you, if, you, if you're going to try to make the case to both the ship's owner and the pilot that we should stay here, he probably wants more than the word of a prisoner to go off of. No, no matter how much Julius may trust Paul, to use Paul's advice to the owner of the ship and the ship's pilot is going to be a stretch, at least humanly speaking. Yeah. It definitely is, and and it and it would make it is sensible for Julius to do what he's doing. He's not, he's not going off half cocked. He's not, and and the text expresses it this way. It doesn't say that he's foolish in taking the advice of these men. He simply goes with their advice. Right, and this is. This is instructive for us in the Christian faith in certain ways. There are aspects of Christian life, and whether or not we should paint the walls blue or yellow in the right. church, where there isn't necessarily an easily discernible right answer, and we're not going to get an, uh, an answer dropped from heaven from God in in the form right. of a dove we're going to have to make a good decision to the best of our ability and it might be wrong right right we've talked a little bit about this in other places we talked about it when when Paul arrived in Jerusalem and the plan in which Paul assisted those four men in the vow and whether or not that was a good plan or not we talked a little bit about it when the time came for Paul and Barnabas to part company. There was this disagreement, and they made the decision to go separate ways at the time. And these were decisions that were were not made based on like bad theology or something like that. These were decisions based on information that was available at the time. They made the decision that they made. Was it right? Was it wrong? Some of that can be a bit of Monday morning quarterbacking. But either way, the Lord made use of those decisions previously in the book of Acts to allow the spread of the gospel. And so, and again, we know where this is headed with this decision. The Lord will do the same. And and as we will see, he will preserve the life of Paul and the people there on the ship, even in a decision that hindsight is 2020 probably should have stuck around there in the fair havens a little bit longer. Yep. But, and, and again, we have to sort of give deference to everybody involved. The, the name fair havens could indicate what a, what a bummer of a place this was. And the, there is, I believe the text says something about it's not suitable to stay there. Right. This could have been a spot where they could make it maybe. Right. Maybe there weren't enough provisions. This isn't a port by any means. This is just a spot to, to, to set up camp and hang out. So they may very well have been on the, you know, the desert island marooned in the middle of nowhere, pulling coconuts off of a tree, hoping to survive for a few more months until the weather lets up. Right, right, right. And I mean, it does, it looks, so they're, they're in a pretty difficult spot either way with the timing with the time of year that it is they make the decision to continue on so in in verse 12 as you mentioned this harbor is really not suitable for the winter anyways so they put out to sea trying to get to phoenix a harbor of crete which sounds like it's a better place to spend the winter and that's where we left off. Yeah, if you've been to phoenix it's a beautiful city. Have you been to phoenix? I have been to well not that <laughs> not phoenix, that but- phoenix. <laughs> No, but I don't they, think well, there's a harbor in that Phoenix that you're talking about. If there might be one, but it shouldn't be called such. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, it, it, that's interesting because that's the name. That's where the name Phoenix comes from. It's named after the, the harbor in Crete. All right, but that's clearly where they're headed. Their their intention is is still from this point not to 
try to make the entire journey, but simply to make the next jump to a better spot to, to wait out the winter. Right. And, and to be fair, again, we're talking more about that coast jumping right now. So this, I mean, there's risk, but compared to say trying to make the rest of the journey, this seems like a safe risk. Sure. So we pick the text up again now in verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the northeaster, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus were, they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned." And that's where we end our text today. <laughs> Verse 20. Doom. It, get, it gets better. <laughs> all right. But it does not look good at this point. It does not look good at all at this point because uh, their their worst fears now have, have been realized. Things start off pretty hopeful in, in verse 13. We were talking about that, but then there's this tempestuous wind. T- take us into what happens. Yeah, so the, the south wind is what you want. So the south wind, when when you're thinking wind direction, it's not from it's not to the south, it's from right. the south, right? So it's blowing up off the coast of Africa. That's a gentler wind that's going to give them something manageable that's controllable. They can use that to move along. They think that's going to be good, and up oh, comes a nor'easter, which is going to blow them out. And that, that's that's the bad wind. So this yeah. tempestuous wind, it is forceful, it's strong, it's it's if you've been out in the wind, you don't have to be at sea to experience this. You can be in Kansas, which is kind of like being at a sea. When the wind comes up, it doesn't just blow in an even fashion. The wind blows and it gusts. And these gusts can be very, very forceful and very strong, enough to blow a person over standing on dry land. When you're at sea and and the boat is and in motion, you can't see this at home, but I'm rocking in my chair back and forth. <laughs> the boat is in motion. That pushing of the air is going gonna, is gonna to dislodge cargo on the ship. It's going right. to throw people overboard. It's going to break equipment on the ship. This is a big deal. This, this right. is this is what we're worried about in the wintertime. Right, right. So so again, yeah, the, the south wind keeps them close to the coast of Crete, but it is when that changes to this northeaster, which seems, I mean, Luke gives us the name of it. You know, it's called the northeaster. This is a well-known thing. This is what the sailors are fearing. It strikes, and the ship is not able to hug the coast of Crete, and they get blown out into open sea. And and this is where, again, if you're looking at a map and you, you see what happens when a northeaster comes off of Crete, well, there's nothing there until you get to Africa. And there's there's quite a bit of open water. You're just adrift. That's right. And this is where in, in the maps that the, the line is, is pretty straight. But I'm guessing it wasn't a straight journey. Yeah, probably not. That's <laughs> we're probably looking at a path that's a little bit more like something at a family circus. That's right. <laughs> that's a perfect example. Yes, that's exactly what it must have been like. So, and and this is where you start to see not only the the just sort of we can't control exactly where we're going, but the various ways that they try to save things and some things they have to toss. It's it's a pretty hectic scene. Well, yeah, and the details that we get. So we, we the ship's boat. So what we're what we're getting is a picture of the the sailing vessel and how it works. Um, the exact type of vessel I don't really know, and I, I don't know enough about ancient Roman 
uh, seafaring to be able to identify this, but we've got a large ship of some sort and they tow a boat behind them. Mm-hmm. And you'll see this sometimes in, in films where, uh, where a large vessel is towing another boat behind it. And that's, for some reason, that's an effective way to keep your backup. It's like a life raft, which... Right. Is it, it's not its purpose. Its purpose is when you're when you're at sea and you and you drop anchor and you and you're at a, at a harbor. This boat is actually the way that you get to shore and back. Right. So right. that's the method. So they they're in now in danger. It's it's so tempestuous that this boat could be lost. And if we lost the boat, we're in pretty big trouble. So they managed to pull the boat and hoist it up and secure it. Get it get it onto the ship. Um, the talking about the rigging and stuff, man, this is really, this is fascinating stuff. So they use supports to undergird the ship. What we're talking about there is probably the cargo itself. Mm-hmm. Carrying grain, we're taking on water. Grain's going to swell when you get water onto it. It's dry grain. And so it, it has to be moved in the cargo hold so that it doesn't push the ship apart from the inside. So we need to change the way that all of the cargo is being moved around. And and if you can imagine how difficult that would be to do, right? Just manpower. It probably got hoisted by a, by some sort of a crane or rig to get it into the ship in the right. first place. And here we are now manually trying to adjust all of this. Um, <clears throat> and so then we're getting ready to to move along. And so they lower the gear. And that that seems peculiar to me because why would you lower things? You're in the water. You're already as far down as you can go. What's going to happen with the with the sailing with the sails up up above is they're probably going to have the the sails bound up at the top of the mast. Mm-hmm. So there's the wind is not pushing us, but we need to move forward. We can't just get tossed. So we lower the gear to catch the wind, and that's going to pull right. us along. Okay, right. But it, but just everything that they do, it seems nothing works in the sense of trying to gain any real sense of control. And it just gets worse, yeah. Yeah, the the mention of the Sirtis, this is a pretty famous sandbar. There's a couple of these, it seems, off the coast of Libya. So the Sirtis is a pretty famous sandbar. And they do manage to miss this one, at least. Uh, but they, they continue to be so violently storm-tossed, they start to throw cargo overboard. They are throwing the ship's tackle overboard with their hands. As I was reading there in verse 19 where it says, and on the third day, there was a moment where, oh, maybe this is going to be a hopeful time. It's the third day. Good things happen on the third day. And (laughs) they throw the tackle overboard. (laughs) Not this time. Not this time. The resurrection is not yet in this account. (laughs) Let's keep keep taking us into the. I mean, we're just going downhill here. Yeah, we're just it's just getting worse and worse. Throwing off the cargo again. This is this is a man's livelihood. He's he is he is in fear of his life enough that he's willing to throw the grain overboard because the ship could be lost. Yeah. And everybody and everybody aboard. So that's that's the actual risk that's driving this behavior. We're we're ready to throw the ta- throw the throw the 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 grain overboard and the tackle, obviously not the tackle we're using, but there will be spare pieces of equipment. Right. What we're trying to do in this deal is is to reduce the weight on the ship. Right. Because really, a ship is, Archimedes teaches us about displacement, a ship is really just a hole in the water that stays afloat because it weighs less than the water that it's displacing. It, when you start to take water on, right. that throws your balance out. So right. every bit of weight that you can get rid of is going to re- is going to re- cause the boat to f- to ride higher in the water and increase the chances it's not going to sink. So we're we've been taking on a lot of water at this point, can't get it out quick enough and the best solution is to start throwing heavy things off. Right. right. Well and, and no I mean it's Luke is pretty uh, pretty explicit with what what they're doing. This is happening with their own hands. They're jettisoning the cargo. They're throwing the tackle overboard. It's not being swept overboard, but this is their last hopes of saving this ship by their own power. That's what's what's happening here. Indeed. 
And so, then and then we get to the worst of it all. Oh, verse 20. That's where we end today. <laughs> the stars and the sun are gone for days. <laughs> well, I mean, so I think what well, we, we should understand, neither sun nor stars appear for many days. So there's lots of clouds. Okay. I mean, yep. this is, I don't know. It says, and it says no small tempest lay on us. We're in it's hurricane probably the season gre- yeah, the here. greatest understatement in all of scripture. Right Luke there, does that. <laughs> Luke does that. He'll, he'll phrase things in that way. No small tempest. It was no little thing. And, and I think that's meant to emphasize just how big a tempest it really was such that he says, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned at, at this point the people on the ship. And again, these are, there are experienced sailors among them, an owner of the ship, a pilot who know what they're doing. They say, there's nothing more that we can do. We're yeah, this, done for this three hour tour is hopeless. Isn't oh, it? Oh man. Three hour <laughs> tour. I know that reference. <laughs> it's Gilligan's Island. <laughs> so, I mean, what, do, you know, no, no sun, no stars, it almost has a, a bit of, a, especially since we're ending here, almost a little bit of an end times flavor there. It sure does. Well, and, and for sailors, what this the the hopelessness of this can't be can't be so short sold. When when you're sailing in in first century Rome, the per the, the thing you did, you hugged the coast for a couple of reasons. You hugged the coast because that's a fixed point in space, and you know where you are. And you can identify, ah, oh, this is the port of Joppa. This is the port of this is the port of Sidon. We're moving along the coastline. Once you get onto open water, you have no physical markers to indicate where you are your only indicators are the sun and the stars so these are your points of navigation when the sun and the stars are lost you don't know where you are and when the sun and stars appear again the best you're going to be able to determine is which way you're going right still not where you are if you don't know where you have been and you have a fixed linear space of where you've been the entire time you can't easily determine where you are now. So this that that becomes a problem once if if this if this resolves and we're able to get back underway, where do you go? Yeah. We don't know where we are. We're right. out in the middle of nowhere. We're lost in the tempest. This is the scriptures talk about the 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 seas differently than they talk about the rivers. They do. The rivers give life, the rivers provide sustenance. The seas are a place of turmoil, of discord. They're they're an example of the breakdown of uh, of creation and all the worst things exist and happen in the seas. And the seas are are this this lost hopeless tempest that we need to be saved from. Yes, that's right. And and so I mean, where you know, obviously you can look in your your text and you see that chapter 27 continues and you know, Paul's going to Rome. We've talked about it several times and this is where uh, for our purposes today, because we got about two minutes here just to to help us wrap things up. I, I think it's important that they don't know where they are, but Christ does. And he's made his promise to Paul that he's going to testify in Rome, and that promise is going to carry the day even when all hope seems lost. Help us to wrap things up this morning, Pastor Casper. Yeah, spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Yay. This is going to resolve. Paul is going to make it to Rome. He's going to make his his profession, his confession there. He's going to stay for a while. He's going to be on, on house arrest under his own power, paying for his own way, and have plenty of visitors, and do writing, and all the, all the, all the Paul things will be happening during this time. This is a tremendous speed bump in the whole road, but the promise from chapter 23 holds true, and the Lord does deliver him to Rome to, to do what he's, what he's been promised to do. So this is, this is not the end of it. That's Hang right. tight. You know, this, this is just a cliffhanger until next week. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Pastor Jason Casper is pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in LaGrange, Texas, also helping to plant a church in Bastrop, Epiphany Lutheran Church. 
helping us today with Acts chapter 27, verses 1 to 20. Pastor Casper, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks, Pastor Apple. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 27, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.